To kick off our series of what makes a man, I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions around the concept of masculinity, from traditional values and views of manhood, all the way through to thriving in a modern world that thinks it no longer needs men. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tied by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated. Don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Hello and welcome to Thoughts of a Bearded Man. I'm your host, Graham Newman. I wonder how many of you have read or heard that poem before. If, written by Rudyard Kipling 128 years ago, circa 1895, it's a literal, literal example of Victorian-era Stoicism, and yet the words in this poem are still relevant today as how we as men should strive to conduct ourselves. Right from the start, Kipling presents us with a challenge that, in many cases, could be considered the cornerstone of masculinity. As men, we should be able to stay calm and clear-headed, whether that is in a moment of aggression or in a crisis. Often, people will look to men in situations of such nature to provide a sense of calm and stability and ultimately control. It's interesting that Kipling also points out that while others are losing their head, their ability to maintain rational thought and argument, to maintain common decency, we as men are challenged further in those moments to maintain our sense of self-control despite being blamed for the very things that have gone wrong and being branded as toxic as we attempt to reset the balance quite an undertaking in just the first few lines. Dr. Jordan Peterson puts it this way, quote, to straddle that fundamental duality is to be balanced, to have one foot firmly planted in order and security and the other in chaos, possibility, growth and adventure, end quote. This leads on nicely to Kipling's next point. In order to maintain such an existence, you have to have a strong foundation and belief in who you are. You have to be able to trust yourself and the decisions and actions you are taking. Because make no mistake, others are going to doubt you. And maybe they have good reason to. 
Have you let people down in the past? Have you not stepped up to the plate when important people in your life needed you to? Or perhaps you attempted to take on the burden of responsibility and found yourself wanting. If you don't have a strong vision of the man that you aspire to be, you will crumble at the first sense of doubt. Do you know who you really are? And are you taking steps toward becoming the man you want to be? Next, Kipling reaches across the chasm of time and deals with the very essence of the ease of our modernity and our lack of ability to delay gratification. We simply tire of waiting. No, that's not even correct. We just simply no longer know what it means to wait anymore. Everything is on tap, from the simple process of ordering something from Amazon and having it in your hand the very next day, to fast food, entertainment, even sex. If you don't really understand what I mean by that, go to your Instagram right now if you're on there, scroll through it, I'm sure you'll figure out what I mean. And look, things will only get worse with the rise of AI. Already we are seeing adverts for AI being used to compose breakup messages for people or even to create an AI partner with which to have a quote-unquote relationship. But before I go off on a tangent about that too much, suffice it to say that we should all be just a little bit worried about the rapidity of AI advancement within our lives. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. But anyway, back to the matter at hand. I think it's interesting that at the same time that Kipling points toward a patient mind, he also warns the reader to be very wary of being lied about and not to deal in lies. Men don't gossip, or at least we shouldn't. I'll be honest with you and say that I have been guilty of gossiping and idle talk in the past, but I try not to engage in it now. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, had a great way of thinking about gossip. He called it the three sieves, which are as follows. The first, is it true? Most of the time, the information that you receive from someone about another person is not correct, or at least it's not fully correct. Unless you know for a fact that it is true, disregard something that somebody else tells you about someone else. It has no further use and does not need to occupy any more space in your mind. The second is, is it good? Think about the last time you said anything good about someone to another person. Doesn't happen that often, does it? That's because people are quick to judgment, quick to laugh at another's mistake, misfortune or even injury. Just look at how often people have their phones out recording incidents rather than helping. So if what you are about to hear or say about someone is not good, then it's probably best it just isn't said at all. And the third is, is it necessary? A lot of what comes out of our mouths isn't necessary. You could consider it this way. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's from James chapter 1, verse 19. We do not listen, or more accurately, we do not listen actively. We listen, to, we listen to make reply, not to understand. And if we as men can learn to give ourselves time to pause, to consider and really listen to what is being said to us, or perhaps more importantly, what we are saying to others, many arguments could probably be avoided. It's not always necessary to hear the gossip and lies of others, and it certainly isn't necessary to be a part of spreading such falsehoods further. Quote, It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove any doubt. End quote. That quote has been attributed to many men, 
um, from Abraham Lincoln to Mark Twain. So I'm not sure exactly who it was that said that. And that's just the first stanza of Kipling's poem. Yeah, I had to look it up too. A stanza, if you're interested to know, it's a division of a poem consisting of two or more lines arranged together as a unit. Hey, look, the more you know. So to be fair, that would probably be a good place to leave it with regards to masculinity. <clears throat> it would be a good foundation upon which to build your authentic masculinity. But Kipling is not done. As men, we should have dreams, aspirations and goals that we want to achieve. In fact, we covered elements of this in the Let's Get Smart About This episode. And if you haven't heard that, go back through my catalogue and go and check it out. And much like what we said in that episode, and much like we've discussed in other episodes, having dreams and aspirations and goals, much like life, it's a balancing act. We have to be careful not to fall into a pattern of getting lost in our own imaginations around what and how our life could be. In fact, there is quite a big narrative going around at the moment that procrastination is not laziness and that it may very well be a reaction from a traumatic experience. Look, I'm not a doctor, so I can't speak to this theory of procrastination being a form of active or passive trauma. There'll be a link to a document in the show notes if you wish to read more about this. Procrastination has and always will be a thief of time. Indeed, procrastination has been the reason why it's taken so long for me to get the last episode recorded and published. Sure, I could make the excuse that I had had very long weeks at work, and I had, but I had a number of things that needed my attention on my days off, which is also true. But could I honestly say I simply didn't have time? It's a convenient lie we all tell ourselves, and even, and even as I'm saying this, I may be getting some of your backs up. You may be thinking, it's easy for you to say, Graham, but come and live my life and tell me I have time to insert whatever dream, aspiration, goal, or even hobby you simply aren't doing. But I know it's a lie because I've told it to myself for long enough. I've even made that statement. So if you have a smartphone, go to your screen time report right now, or after you've listened to this episode, and take a look at how much time you are losing to social media or other things that you may be doing on your phone. Look, I was shocked to find some years ago now that in one week I had lost 10 hours to social media. 10 hours! I kept telling people, I want to start my podcast, I just don't have time. And if you're honest, you're lying to yourself too. These devices, whilst being incredibly useful, have also become a hindrance to our lives. Social media is very clever at targeting our dopamine receptors, keeping us scrolling idly through looking for that next hit. To a certain degree, we are, all of us, addicted to our phones. And I'm sure you're saying right now, no, not me, I'm not addicted to my phone. Yes, even you. And look, if you vehemently disagree with that statement, then I challenge you to go back to a standard phone that does nothing more than make and receive phone calls and text messages. And I bet you can't. Again, I could dive down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories here regarding smartphones, social media and AI. But... Seeing as how that is not the purpose of this episode, I shall get back on track. We should be striving towards achieving our goals and not just talking, thinking and daydreaming about them. Quote, don't put off till tomorrow what can be done today. End quote. Benjamin Franklin. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow and time is not our friend. If there is something that you want to be doing with your life, you should make every effort to do it. 
I'm not suggesting that you should throw a caution to the wind in pursuance of some outlandish dream. However, I'm also not suggesting that you should simply just forget about your dreams either. You should take an inventory on where and how you are spending your time. If you did that honestly, you would likely find that you would have more time than you think. But let's move on. What about triumph and disaster? How do we as men react to, as Kipling describes them, these two imposters? And why does he even call them imposters? Well, consider it this way. Both triumph and disaster are temporary moments in your life. I'm sure you've heard it said of sports teams or personalities that you're only as good as your last win, goal, at bat, etc. Or in the case of disaster or crisis, this too shall pass. So with regard to triumph, it is easy to take the elation of a victory and to lord it over the defeated party. Sadly, this is very evident in football fans, soccer for any non-British listeners, some of whom behave in an undignified manner when they have won a game, a tournament or a league. And with sport now being considered our modern equivalent to battle, as thankfully the need for us men to meet in combat is now a very rare thing, some men seem to have lost the ability to win graciously. It just doesn't seem to be enough to leave the field the victor. Nowadays the loser has to be ridiculed. But defeat, disaster, crisis is never far away for any of us. It could come in the form of losing your job. It could come in the form of a child or a spouse becoming ill. Or perhaps, heaven forbid we as men might admit to this, it could come in the form of a mental health crisis, a panic attack or gripped by anxiety. Yes, it happens to men more often than we will admit to. So I challenge you to look at the way you conduct yourself when things are going your way. When you or your wife or your significant other are on the same page, you're on a roll. You can't seem to put a foot wrong and everything you say and do is like manna from heaven. You're confident, happy, you've got a swagger or bounce in your step and maybe you're even a little bit cocky. You're the king of the world and nothing and nobody can touch you. But what about when the storms roll in? Your wife or significant other seems to be irritated with every last little thing you do or maybe they have something going on in their life that is upsetting the balance in your relationship and nothing you do or say helps. Your shoulders slump, you're generally a bit grumpy and you feel like you are the only one in the world to ever go through this particular valley. Well, Kipling challenged us to face both events the same. Learn to be gracious in your victories as well as your defeats. If you have bested your opponent, then shake your opponent's hand and congratulate them on your victory. If you have vanquished your foe, do not add insult to injury. Offer them your hand to pick them back up and honour their effort. If you've been listening to this podcast since I started, you have likely heard me mention Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Indeed, I quoted him earlier in this episode. You may not know much about him, but one thing I can tell you about Dr. Peterson is this. He has been one of the most misquoted, misinterpreted and misunderstood men in our times. Many people grab sound bites of long-form conversations with Dr. Peterson and use them to portray an image of a man who is, a, who is misogynistic, an oppressive patriarch, and the very embodiment of toxic masculinity. And let me tell you, none of those things are true about this man. In fact, they couldn't be further from the truth regarding Dr. Peterson. This constant attempt, attempt of people to besmirch Dr. Peterson's reputation is the very embodiment of Kipling's verse 
if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. If you believe much of what is reported in our mainstream media, you are the fool who has fallen into the trap. Furthermore, do not be afraid to speak your truth. And no, I don't mean the quote-unquote your truth that has become a popular misconception of today. Or to speak up at all for that matter. But be prepared for people to twist the words you have spoken to fit their own agenda or narrative. The age-old saying of the truth hurts is, well, true. When people don't like to hear the truth, they become, more often than not, defensive and will try and shift the focus onto you. This manifests itself today with the ironically asleep masses of those who follow woke ideologies. When they are confronted with well-reasoned arguments that oppose their views, they're just simply unable to hear it or think through it. So they scream their mantras that fit their ideologue all the more loudly to make you appear to be the aggressor because they just can't handle the truth that you're speaking. This is a big topic and probably one I will cover in a specific episode so I don't go off track again. So let's move on. I've spoken a lot about goals, about striving to achieve something. What if you had and it all fell apart? Everything you had worked so hard for just crumbled. For many, that's it. They just can't see a way out or don't have the strength to do it all over again. Sadly, for too many men, that road leads to suicide. Here, Kipling asks if we can rebuild with worn out tools. It's a verse that could be easily skipped over as just a simple thing to say. But consider what is really going on here. Maybe you had the best of everything. The car you always wanted, the designer clothes, you can afford to eat at the best restaurants, or go on an all-expenses-paid holiday, or buy your significant other or your kids anything they wanted. Or maybe you've got a DeWalt power drill and make fun of someone who has got a cheaper one from Wilco. Yeah, that happened to me, and my response was as simple as this. It's not the tool, it's the man who wields it. And that is part of the point that I believe Kipling is making here. As men, we should have the strength of character to be able to start all over again, if called upon to do so. But more than that, we should have the skill to do so, even if it is with worn out or cheap tools. But we overlook the most powerful and useful tool that we have at our disposal. Our mind. Be honest with yourself. Do you think you are keeping your mind sharp? We should never stop seeking to learn and develop. But what about mental fortitude? Are you disciplined enough in your mind to cope and get through the storms and the valleys that life will inevitably send your way? Many of us think we have the mental fortitude to deal with problems and crises as they arise. And this attitude is usually accompanied by the lone wolf mentality. This idea that I don't need anyone or I don't care what people think of me. And look, I'm not immune to this. I have made those sorts of comments in in the past. Even rather more embarrassingly, I referred to myself as a drifter. And you'd probably have to ask my wife about that one. But anyway, I digress. As humans, we're not meant to live our lives in solitude. So what makes you think that as a man, this idea of being alone is the ideal? We need people in our lives. Moreover, men need other men to hold their toes to the fire, to prop them up, to help them out. And as I heard it in another podcast, to be that 2am friend who when you call, they're not asking any questions. They're just getting up, they're getting their clothes on, they're grabbing their keys and they're heading over to you. 
So how many 2am friends do you really have? So as well as our minds, we also overlook another tool, which is our bodies. And look, I'm certainly not the one to talk here. I'm carrying too much weight and I need to get leaner, fitter, stronger and healthier. But if I, and indeed we, and any of you out there that are listening, have looked down at your gut and thought, yeah, I could do with losing some weight, and you don't take any action now to start achieving that, what good are you going to be to your families, your friends, the community as a whole should a disaster strike? Because look, let's not beat around the bush here. When an emergency situation happens, it's usually men who are looked to to run toward the danger while everyone else is running away from it. Could you pull or carry an unconscious person to safety? I'm sure many of you may be thinking, yeah, of course I could. And maybe you could, on pure adrenaline, pull or carry a heavy weight for a short period. But what about over a sustained period of time? I doubt it. I know I couldn't as it stands right now. But what if you were your wife or your kid's only hope, and you're blowing out your backside because you've allowed this tool, your body, to become worn out too? Now, I'm not a gambling man, thank God. If I were, I'd probably be flat broke right now. But I'm not necessarily sure that Kipling is suggesting that we all make our merry way down to the betting shops and recklessly gamble away our money. No, what I believe he's pointing to here is the idea of taking risks. Think about it from this point of view. We enjoy many of the technological advantages of today due to the risks of those who have gone before us. From satellite navigation systems to your smartphone. These things have been made possible by those who dared to look at the sky and shoot for the stars. Now, while it may have been men who manned the rockets in the initial missions to space, must give recognition to Criola Catherine Coleman, who went by the married name of Catherine Johnson. And some of you may be saying, who's she? Well, she was an American mathematician whose calculations of orbital mechanics as a NASA employee were critical to the success of the first and subsequent US crewed space flights. And during her 33 year career at NASA, she earned a reputation for mastering complex manual calculations and helped pioneer the use of computers to perform the tasks. The space agency noted her, quote, historical role as one of the first African-American women to work as a NASA scientist, end quote. So not only had she stood out in her field of expertise as a woman, but also as an African-American woman. But look, don't get me started on the Black Lives Matter organisation. Suffice it to say that Catherine dared to believe in herself, and I have no doubt she took certain risks to make sure her voice was heard. And while I'm speaking of incredible women who risked much for the advancement of technologies, it would be remiss of me not to mention Marie Curie. Marie Curie was a Polish and naturalised French physicist and chemist who conducted pioneering research on radioactivity. She was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person to win a Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two scientific fields. So that's quite an accomplishment. And if that wasn't enough, Marie Curie discovered the elements polonium and, and radium, using techniques she invented for isolating radioactive is isotopes. Under her direction, the world's first studies were conducted into the treatment of neoplasms by the use of radioactive isotopes. And if that still was enough, during World War I, she developed mobile radiography units to provide X-ray services to field hospitals. Marie Curie died in 1934, I believe. I've just lost my notes. 
Yes, Marie Curie died in 1934, aged 66, of aplastic anemia, and that was likely from exposure to radiation in the course of her scientific research and in the course of her radiological work at field hospitals during World War I. So Marie Curie quite literally risked her life in the course of her research to bring about incredible advancement in medicine, many of which helped doctors today in the early identification of cancers, and this has probably gone on to significantly increase survival rates, to say nothing of the many men that she helped with significant injuries during World War I. And yes, guys, you will have to accept the fact that I am reading from some notes here. It's quite a lot of information to remember. But anyway, let's move on. Our history is littered with examples of men and women doing extraordinary things that have left lasting legacies and eased the lives for those that came after them. And look, I'm not suggesting that you should go and expose yourself to radiation or anything like that. What I am saying is this. As men, we should be living bold, courageous lives. We should be willing to take some risks here and there along the way. Many of us have become far too comfortable with the status quo of our lives. We go to work, we come home. Rinse, repeat. Remember when you were a kid? Maybe you climbed a tree knowing any minute a branch could break and you may fall. Or maybe you and some friends tied a branch or a tire to a tree and swung out over a river. Or maybe even out over a fairly hefty drop. Or maybe you tried grinding your skateboard along some railings, falling off more times than you remember, probably scuffing knees and elbows as you did so. Whatever crazy stuff you got up to as a kid, it was risky and you felt alive. <clears throat> so as you no doubt know by now, I operate from a place of reality. I am not and will not be someone who will try and suggest that you can do anything and be anything you want. I'm not saying you can't either. But I genuinely believe that those out there who do tote that message have long since lost touch with reality. Or perhaps a more accurate way to put it is that they are in a position to buy whatever reality they want. And now use their position to tell you that your life sucks because you aren't working hard enough to achieve what they have. The point, as far as I'm concerned, is this. We're meant for adventure. To push the envelope. To risk it all on one turn of pitch and toss. Again, don't misunderstand me here. We all have families and responsibilities, financial or otherwise. So I'm not telling you to cash in your life savings and put it all on black. But I am telling you to pursue something other than the mundane. Because surely you want something more than just the mundane. Maybe there's a new hobby you're interested to try. Or maybe even an old hobby. I can't remember how many times I've been told by guys that, you know, they had an old hobby, but they're just not doing it anymore because they're uttering the age old I'd love to, I just don't have the time. Maybe it's that you want to take part in a 5k run. Maybe it's starting your own business. Maybe it's surprising your wife or significant other with a trip away. The list is endless of the things that you could possibly do, be doing. But unless you try, at the very least try, you will never know. How much potential are you? How much potential am I leaving on the table because we have become too timid, too afraid to take a risk, to try something new. Do you even know what you're capable of? Do I know what I'm capable of? So what are we afraid of? That we might fail at something new? Well, we might. So what? We tried. We failed. We learn from the mistake and we go again. Or is it that we're afraid that people may make fun of us? for trying something new. They might. So what? 
You got up off your backside and tried. It's more than they have done or are doing. Or maybe it's that you will be embarrassed when it doesn't work out. And those same people will say, well, I told you so. Or you had no business trying. You had no business taking that risk in the first place. So maybe it won't work out. Maybe you will fall flat on your face. But it won't have been for nothing. You will have learned a great deal more about yourself than you ever will if you just stay where you're at. For example, I'm trying to learn to play the guitar. And many of you know that. You've seen me carrying my guitar. And many times along this journey, I've simply wanted to give up, convincing myself that I will never be any good. And I even worry that people are making fun of me as they see me carrying my guitar into work. And sometimes when I practice, I think, hey, I'm getting somewhere with this. And other times I hit all the ring strings, the chords are dull because my fingers aren't in the right place. And don't even get me started on bar chords. But here's the thing. I'm further along that journey than the person who never tries may not seem like much of a risk. You may even be thinking that there is nothing risky about it at all. But trying to learn something new as an adult, it's not an easy thing to do. Or this podcast in itself is another example. By sharing my thoughts and opinions on this platform, I open myself up to all sorts of criticisms, judgments, and possibly even ridicule. But none of those things is a good enough reason to not do this. Maybe people listen to my episodes and think I'm an idiot. Or maybe they listen and take something positive away from it. Either way, if I'm too afraid to do it, then my message will not get out there. And I will never know if I had an impact on someone's life. So take stock of your life and decide for yourself whether you are living the life you want to be living right now. So as well as suggesting that we should take risks, I believe that Kipling also points out another key virtue to masculinity when you do. Uh, Sorry, when you do take risks and it doesn't play out the way you had hoped for. You start again at your beginnings and you never breathe a word about your loss. Pretty clear what he means here, right? Yeah? So why are you telling everyone your business then? It's a serious question and you might have answered it with a simple, well, I'm not. But the chances are you're probably sharing more about yourself than you realise. No, I'm not talking about data. To be perfectly honest, that ship has sailed. I'm talking about how much you are sharing with quote unquote friends. Now, you may be thinking, hang on, you're confusing us now. You encourage encourage us to open up, and now you're telling us to be careful with how much we share. What I'm trying to tell you is that you should use your discernment in choosing those that you bring in close to you and be mindful about the information that you impart to them. Sadly, not everyone that you count as quote-unquote friend has your best interests at heart, so don't be too quick to tell all to everyone. Because not only is it not their business, But it's also no one's fault but yours if you take a risk and it didn't work out. Sure, there may be all manner of variables that come into play. But when all is said and done, if you took all your life savings and bet it all on black and it comes up red, that's no one's fault but yours. Society has become too adept at laying the blame at everyone else's door for their shortcomings. And you know what? It's really disappointing to see weak men adopting this same blame culture. Oh, it's everyone else's fault but mine. I'm the victim here. The chances are, if you really examine the situation that you may find yourself in, and are prepared to be honest with yourself, then it's highly likely that you made a mistake somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, which created a domino effect. But hey, it's far easier to blame everyone else than to take ownership for your own shortcomings. To admit you might have gotten it wrong, 
or that even you are wrong. I'm sure you have all heard the familiar saying, the truth will set you free. But did you know that it is a biblical reference? So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8 verses 31 to 32. <clears throat> now there's a lot to unpack there in just those few words of Jesus. And I'm sure that what I'm about to discuss with you is not what Jesus was getting at at all. But the idea of freedom coming through truth is an interesting one. I have found that the more I take ownership for my shortcomings, the freer I feel. Think about it. If you're constantly looking to place blame elsewhere, then you are not only not growing as a person, but you're putting yourself in a position of constant conflict, whether that's with your spouse, your kids, your friends, your colleagues, etc., etc. How many times have you had an argument with your wife because you said you would do something <clears throat> or she asked you to do something and you just didn't get it done? There might have been a reasonable excuse for why you didn't manage to complete the task, but a thorough examination of the events might reveal that you didn't, you didn't get it done because somewhere along the line you just dropped the ball. But rather than coming clean about the why, we become defensive and look to shift the blame. That road will always lead to arguments. Being honest may not always mean that you aren't going to incur the wrath of your wife for failing her. Yes, chaps, that's what it is. You failed. Deal with it. So you might think, well, if she's going to be mad, what good is what good is it to be honest with her? Well, she might be mad, but where else can she go with it once you have already apologised and admit that you have let her down? Despite the fact that it can be very difficult for men and women to understand each other, it is fair to say that all any of us really want is to feel respected. Your wife, while angry, would respect your honesty, and after riding that wave of her annoyance towards you, she would eventually calm down and you could probably work together to resolve the problem. It all comes from taking ownership, and real men take ownership. Maybe that's what Kipling maybe that's what Kipling's next verses are all about in terms of dealing with your wife's annoyance. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. Look, of course I'm joking, but it can feel like that sometimes. As men, I believe we all like to think that we are strong enough to withstand any challenge that comes our way. And we usually think this when everything is going great in our lives. Like we talked about earlier, you know, our wives love us, our kids respect us, and they want to be around us. We're the life and soul of all social gatherings. We can't put a foot wrong at work and the sun is always shining. It's great, right? In those moments, we can take on the world. I've even had conversations with guys who have boasted that they could probably withstand torture. And I suspect I've even made ridiculous outlandish claims of such nature in my youth. Withstand torture? Most of us pitch a fit if the Wi-Fi goes down these days. And in fact, the more I consider this verse, the more I believe that it may be the most important of the entire piece. And I don't think it needs anything more from me, which I'm sure you're all relieved here. So finally, Kipling begins with his fourth stanza with a very valuable piece of advice. How many times have you behaved out of character in order to fit in? <clears throat> in all honesty, this is something I struggle with, particularly as I'm trying to live a Christian lifestyle. But all too often I find myself reverting back to my old ways in order to fit in. 
It's a symptom of not having a clear defined vision of the man I want to be. And so rather than standing confidently in my own shoes, I shift my character to fit in. I still do it now. And every time I catch myself in it, I feel very disappointed in myself. And this was particularly true during my years as a police constable. I poured my entire identity into that role. As a result, I became a very prideful and egotistical driven person. I would never say it out loud, at least not while I did that job, but I genuinely believed that I was better than everyone else. But it's true what they say, pride comes before a fall. While in that role as a police constable, I wanted so desperately to be a part of it all that I sacrificed many of the virtues that a police constable should conduct themselves by. But more than that, I sacrificed the virtues and the values that I thought were foundational to who I was. To quote one's more biblical reference, I was the foolish man who had built his house on a foundation of sand, and when the storm came it was just swept away. The actual verse can be found in Luke chapter 6 verses 47 to 49. I had tried to fit in with the crowd, but in doing so I had lost myself. I had tried to walk with kings, but lost the common touch. And I learnt a bitter lesson. Those that I counted as friends. No, not even as friends. I thought these people were an extension of my family. But when it all crumbled around me, those who had told me to my face that they had my back, no matter what, well, they were nowhere to be seen. I learnt, I learnt then that a loving friend can hurt me just as much as a foe. In fact, it's worse when it comes from a loving friend. So, once again, it's very important to construct a solid vision around the man you want to be. Physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. In this way, we can become the wise man who builds his house upon a foundation of rock. And when the storm comes, our house, our very being as a man, stands firm. Remember, we touched upon it earlier. Not everyone you count among you as friend is actually true to you. So be mindful not to depend on others too much. I'm not suggesting that everyone has an agenda to ensnare you the first chance they get. Most of the time, people are just busy trying to figure this thing called life out for themselves. They may not mean to let you down or come up short. They just do. And it's important to be mindful of that. But if you depend on others too much, you will forever feel disappointed, let down and frustrated. So instead, learn to trust yourself first and foremost. Then strive to be the example. Set your standards so high that others sense that about you and start to wonder just what it is that makes you carry yourself the way that you do. Kipling gives us one final reminder of the fleeting nature of time, the unforgiving minute. Every day that we wake up, we have been blessed with another 24 hours. It's up to all of us to decide how best we use that time. No doubt you've heard someone say, or maybe you've even said it yourself, well, that's time in my life I'm never getting back. And it's usually uttered when something is considered a waste of time. The comedian James Acaster responded to this with the simple, you aren't getting any of the time of your life back. I don't believe he means this as, an entire, as in your entire life is a waste of time, but that the phrase itself is nonsensical. Waste of time or not, as the seconds and moments tick away, they are gone for good. Do your best to make sure you aren't wasting them. If we can master these concepts and apply them to our lives, then ours is the earth 
and everything that's in it. I don't think Kipling means that we will rule the world, at least not literally, but our own little corner of the world will be better. And, which is more, we will be the men this world needs us to be. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like the content of this podcast, I'd like to know how you can support me to get this out to more listeners. You can do so by leaving me a five-star rating and review, liking and subscribing, and sharing this podcast with your own circle of friends and family.